Today, we dive into the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant of the law. Boy, is this going to be a good podcast. It's going to bring lots of clarity. So many times you hear about the old covenant and you as, as a new as a new covenant Christian believing in 2019 we're always talking about the old is gone the new has come all of these kinds of like catchphrases we're gonna bring some clarity to that what was the mosaic law what was the old covenant what did it affect how did it impact the world then and and what effect does it have now and what obligation does it have now we're gonna get into that right now you are listening to the Toe Podcast. This law is massive. For those that don't have had the Old Testament memorized, it's Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so it covers a good bit of Exodus, all of Leviticus, all of Numbers. And like two thirds of Deuteronomy, so this is big. It's not like our other uh, covenants, which are a few verses of a few chapters. This is this is a big, all encompassing covenant. So uh, we're gonna get as we're gonna get through a bunch of it today. But just remember, we're we're talking on like a thirty thousand foot level, um, not in the weeds. Um, so this covenant, Levi. What are it's made between who? Yeah. Well, whereas in previous covenants we studied Aaron, there was typically God as one of the participants, and there was a person such as Adam or Abraham who stood as a representative of either humanity or the nation of Israel. And in this particular covenant, it's the first one we study where of course God is included. But this covenant is made with the entire nation of Israel. If you read the account in the book of Exodus, all of the people at the bottom of the mountain agree to this covenant that God is proposing. Now, it's worth noting that this covenant is a conditional covenant. It's an if then. If you do this, then you will do that. And to make that clear, the first provision of the covenant uh, talks about that, meaning it says that there were 613 laws. Think about 613 it. 613 commandments. That's right. That's a lot. So you think the 10 is what it was. No, no, it wasn't the 10 commandments. That's not the old covenant. That's just 10 of 613. That's right. Now, a couple of things that are interesting. There were 365 of these that were negative commandments, meaning don't do this, right? And 248 of those, which were positive commandments, meaning you should do this, Mm. right? And then a part of this is also this blessing and curse thing. So involved in these provisions of the law were blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. So keep that in mind. That's part of that if then. Mm -hmm. That doesn't exist in like the Abrahamic covenant. There isn't like, if you don't follow me, I'm going to curse you or not bless you. Now, you don't really have a choice in the matter. You're going to get blessed no matter what. You're going to be a great na- nation no matter what. That's a promise from God, right? That's not the case with the Mosaic Law. If you don't follow the law or if you do certain things of disobedience, you're going to be cursed. Yeah, you're going to have punishment. Right. So this is a key element of the Mosaic Law, which I don't think mu- – we, we talk a lot about 
the blood of Jesus and how it covered us. And we talk a lot about the importance of the blood of Jesus. Mm -hmm. But the reason why that's such a mainstay trigger word, if you will, in the New Testament is because everyone who wrote the New Testament lived under the Mosaic law at the time. And so one of the huge elements of the Mosaic law is blood sacrifice. Yeah, absolutely. Talk a bit about that, Levi. Yeah, well, the blood sacrifice is introduced here through the law of Moses or the Mosaic covenant. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. And it is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So, Obviously, in, in, the, in the Old Covenant, God set up a sacrificial system whereby the Israelites had to do a certain number of sacrifices at certain times, uh, especially certain times of the year. And what that blood did that was shed was covered the sins of the Israelites. Notice, it did not completely remove the sins of the Israelites, but it covered them. And one of the questions I'm often asked, Aaron, is where how were people saved in the Old Testament? Were they saved through uh, the shedding of animal blood? And the answer is no. People have always been saved by God's grace through their faith. So whereas the content of faith can change from covenant to covenant, uh, the idea of faith does not change and it is the means of salvation. The book of Hebrews makes this point when it says that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins. And we know from the New Testament that only the precious blood of the Messiah, Jesus, completely removes sins from people. That's both the Old Testament saints, New Testament folks, and going forward even. His blood is needed for the complete removal of sins. So I oftentimes use an illustration. It's like a credit card payment. So Aaron, let's say you go out and you spend a million dollars on credit cards. Great. Okay. So you have a million dollar bill and for the next 20 years, you make the minimum payment every month (laughs) on those credit cards. Okay. So you're covered. As long as you make that minimum payment, no one's going to come take your house, take your cars. You're covered. That is essentially what happened through the Old Testament sacrificial system. The Israelites were covered but they were still in debt, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But let's say, Aaron, you make a million dollar credit card charge and then someone comes and they don't just make a monthly payment for you. They pay off the entire account so that you owe nothing. Interest included. Not only interest included. And not only that, they pay it forward Mm. so that you have a credit card that's really unlimited. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that as in believers have a license to sin. I simply mean that as in Jesus' blood removes sins, past, present, and future. And that's what his blood did. So when we think about the Old Testament sacrificial system, when we think about blood being introduced here into this covenant, it is important. Blood is a central aspect of it, but the blood does not have the power that the blood of the Messiah has. Right. Very good. I mean, the heart still matters. We've talked a lot about that. Big time. And what kept coming to my mind as you were talking is Cain and Abel. And even though they were way before the Mosaic Covenant, Abel 
gave sacrifices with a heart of love and faith. Cain gave similar sacrifices, maybe the exact same ones, but his heart was angry towards God, resentful towards God. And we know what happened there. For, for Abel I loved and Cain I hated. It talks about in Romans chapter 6. Um, that's incredible. But that's the point here, right? That's the point here. Your heart and where your heart is and your heart posture is, is where your faith will lie. Mm -hmm. So even if you're executing the law perfectly, if your intentions for doing so are not because you want to love God, this is where we, we are not in the new covenant yet, but this is where it's huge. You might have the freedom to do something. But if you're doing that free act out of rebellion, you're still sinning mm. because your heart posture is in the wrong place. Sure. This is key. So very good. So the fourth provision is yeah. dietary restrictions. Yeah. And these are what are today known as the kashrut laws. Okay. Right? So even the Jewish people today oftentimes eat a kosher diet. And the Mosaic Covenant lays out a bunch of different provisions in terms of here's what cannot be eaten. And there are certain animals and depending on their hoofs and so forth. And so this served to keep the Jewish people distinct from the surrounding nations. Right. Now, the fifth provision really is interesting. It's an extension or an expansion of the death penalty to cover. You can now get the death penalty for idolatry. Um, adultery, cursing God, cursing your parents, breaking the Sabbath, practicing witchcraft, among other things. Yeah. That's like, that's the death penalty for these things. Not like thrown in prison or slap on the wrist. It's like killed. Yeah, this is serious stuff here. And as you mentioned, this is an expansion from what we covered in the Noahic covenant, where God specifically said there that if you kill another man, your punishment is that you should be killed. Uh, but as you mentioned, Aaron, now all of a sudden there are many of these sins where the death penalty should be enforced by the people of Israel. And then the sixth provision is a sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. Now, we talked about that last week with the Abrahamic covenant. And what's interesting and distinct about circumcision in this covenant is it becomes an expansion. Not only are you identifying and claiming the promises of Abraham, Right, But now you are also saying that if you get circumcised, you are claiming that you're going to choose to live under the law, which is choosing to live under the 613 commandments. commandments. Yeah. So that's a pretty big deal. And whereas in the Abrahamic covenant, circumcision was just a sign for the Jewish people only. If you were a Gentile during the Mosaic covenant and you wanted to follow the God of Israel, you had to get circumcised. And as you mentioned, Aaron, this was basically the way that you were saying, I'm going to submit myself to these 613 commands. Right. And so, yeah, obviously the New Testament has a lot to say about circumcision. And primarily in the New Testament, it's talking about the circumcision related to the Mosaic law, not necessarily the sign of the circumcision related to the Abrahamic covenant. Right. And one other thing that's, I think, worth noting here, because of, it's brought up in Galatians chapter 5, verse 3, and in a couple places in 1 Corinthians, is in the early church, there's this real divide because uh, Gentiles are coming in through Paul 
in hordes, mm-hmm. right? By the thousands. Yeah. And none of them are circumcised. And right. the Jewish believers are like, what is going on? You all need to be circumcised like immediately. And Paul's argument is, wait, wait, wait. If you, that covenant is void. It's, it's no, it's been fulfilled, right? Um, so if you make them get circumcised, then you must live under the old covenant completely. Completely. Not just pick and choose. Right. And so that's why I wanted to bring that up is because these are distinct covenants that you live under. Think of them as, I mean, this is kind of geeky, but as like operating systems. You can't, you can't put an, a Safari op, or a Mac operating system and a Microsoft operating system and just interchange them uh, loosely. You're either in one or you're in the other. And that's very much what's true here. You're either in the Mosaic Covenant or you're in the New Covenant. Right now, that doesn't mean you can't uh, say, "Man, I wish this feature existed in this system." Right? It's just you can't live, you know, in both. You're either in one or the other. The seventh and final provision of the Mosaic Law is also the token of the Mosaic Law, and it's really, really interesting to me uh, because it is talked about so much nowadays in the church, and that is the Sabbath. So, tell us the first. Um, the first part of the Sabbath. Yeah, well, it, the, the Sabbath was a sign that Israel had been set apart by God. Yeah. Right? They were the only ones that were given uh, the command to keep the Sabbath. It was also a sign of the Exodus, as we see in, in Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. Uh, it was a sign that Jehovah was Israel's God. And it's interesting, Aaron, every reason given for the observance of the Sabbath what has relevance only to Israel. Yeah. It never has relevance in any part of scripture to the Gentiles or even to the church today. Yeah. And the second thing that's really interesting about this is that there's no, there's nothing in scripture about a Sabbath prior to this point. Right. So nothing in Abraham's life, Isaac's life, Jacob's life, nothing about a Sabbath. Right. Or a rest day or anything like that. Uh, So that, that is really fascinating, I think. Yeah. I mean, in the creation account. It says that God rested. Fruchtenbaum makes an interesting point about that because his point is that was just telling you what God did. Yeah. It wasn't a command that um, Abraham had to rest one day a week during his work. He was given work to do. He was given maintenance. We talked about that in the Edenic covenant. Um, But he wasn't commanded to rest one day. This is now a command as part of this Mosaic covenant that they must rest one day. Yeah, that's right. And that goes into the third part of this. Uh, the third part is the Sabbath was a day of rest, not a day of corporate worship. Yeah. Now, this is a big misconception because of our culture today, it's particularly in our Western culture, where, first of all, we've changed the day of the Sabbath. The, right. the Sabbath is for what we would call it is a Saturday. So and in Hebrew, it's Shabbat. In Hebrew, it is Shabbat. Shabbat. Yeah. And in Israel today, that's when the Shabbat is celebrated, is when we would call it Saturday. Okay. However, in today's culture, the day has been moved to Sunday, which there was no provision for in right. the Bible. But also, as you mentioned, it was a day of rest, a day of complete rest. It was not a day when people got together and worshipped. Yeah. So... 
Of course, there's nothing wrong with getting together and worshiping. No. I, and, and there's nothing wrong with going to church on Sundays. That's not what we're trying to say here. No, not at all. Not at all. You're just not fulfilling the law by doing that. Right. You're just not <laughs> fulfilling the, anything. You're not fulfilling the Sabbath. No. Right. I mean, sometimes I've heard pastors say things like, you need to be here because you need to keep the Sabbath holy. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's the Mosaic law. And if that law is no longer in effect, then why would I need to keep the Sabbath holy? Because... I'm not under that covenant anymore. Right. And not only that, but the corporate worship and meeting together at a church actually is not commanded for the Sabbath day. And if you really tried to keep the Sabbath, you'd have to do things like no traveling. Right. So hopefully you live right next door to a church because as soon as you (laughs) turn your car on, you've started a fire, which is also prohibited on the Sabbath. Um, You can't gather manna. I don't think that's going to be a problem for anybody. (laughs) You can't trade. On the Sabbath. So you couldn't buy your coffee at your coffee shop in nope. the church? Nope. Can't right. do that. And That's you can't market. So the coffee shop can't market. So announcements are off limits. Depending on if they're marketing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and so what's interesting here is that the Sabbath... I mean, if you, this, is, this is the point of the law. This yeah. is what the law does. It points out all of these things that are distinct. And you, you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you can't do this. And yeah. this is what righteous living looks like, right? That's the point of the law. Yeah, we're going to talk about the purposes of the law in just a second here. But yeah, basically the law is going to reveal to us just how unrighteous we are. Absolutely. Absolutely it does. So one thing that is really awesome about the Sabbath, and I try to do in my life every week, is have a time, have a day set aside. My wife and I get down, we get our calendars, and we say, okay, what day this week are we off? Just completely off. And we choose that day to have... A slow day where we have spiritual renewal. You know, the the Devo time goes from whatever it is, you know, 30 minutes to an hour to like three or four hours, just chilling, reading reading the word, reading other books, listening to worship, streaming sermons, that just really just resting in like a deep way, sleeping in, enjoying the coffee, you know, that kind of a thing. And that is, I as I understand it, the heart of Sabbath um, and a Sabbath day. Now we are, we don't have to keep that per the law, but we choose to keep it because we find that it's very good for our soul to keep it. And I, that's a really great distinction, Aaron. Um, Sometimes we in the believing community are guilty of carrying specific things over from the law and saying, you have to do this. Like, you have to keep the Sabbath. Well, that's carrying one element of 613 laws right. and saying you have to do this one, but you don't have to do this one, this one, or this one. Right. But we're also guilty of, for some reason, thinking that we don't have the freedom to celebrate any parts of the law that we want to. And this is where in, in history, our Jewish believing friends have been persecuted because they wanted to keep the Sabbath in their own way, because they wanted to celebrate Passover or some other Jewish holiday. Mm. Just as we have the freedom in the new covenant to not do any parts of the law, so the same freedom allows us to celebrate any parts of the law that we want to. Right. And I just think that needs to be said, lest we, lest the pendulum sing, swing to one side or the other. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then the fourth is that it was intended for Israel, not the church. That's the last part of the Sabbath. And, and that's just that's just something I, I want to say because we're talking about the Mosaic Law, which is a covenant specifically between Israel and God, not between 
that Mosaic law was not made between the church, even universal, right, church, uh, God's bride, Jesus, God's bride, and um, and himself, right? That's not what that was made for. This, this Sabbath was made and is a token of uh, Israel's commitment to the Mosaic law specifically, right? So as we throw this term around in our modern day society, let's understand where it even comes from and how it was originally intended. So moving on to the purpose of the law. Yeah. And Aaron, I think we can go through the purposes of the law rather quickly because we've already touched on a few in the provisions of the law. The first purpose of the law, as um, mentioned in multiple New Testament passages, such as Romans chapter seven, is to reveal God's holiness and his standard of righteousness. Right. Which is strict. Which is very strict. Right. And obviously no one can live up to the 613 commandments of the law. Right. That brings us to the second purpose of the law. And that is to provide a way of conduct for the Israelites to live. Right. They were supposed to live differently than the surrounding nations. They were supposed to be distinct. And the law provided the distinct behavior they were supposed to partake of. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. The third purpose of the law was to provide occasions for both individual as well as corporate worship where Israel would gather together, they would assemble, and they would worship the God of Israel. And these are found in the seven holy days of Israel, where folks had to go to Jerusalem, and they had to present sacrifices and worship God. So it's important to note there that it's not that the Mosaic Law is in any way against corporate worship. It's just that the Sabbath wasn't the intended day to experience corporate worship. That's a good distinction. Right? Yep. That brings us to our fourth purpose of the law, which was to keep Israel distinct. It was to keep... Set apart. To set apart, exactly. The nation of Israel was to be set apart, different from all other nations, and the law made that possible. Right. And that, that concept is continued in the fifth purpose of the law. Yeah, which the fifth purpose of the law is spoken about in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16... Paul mentions this middle wall of partition between the Gentiles and the nation of Israel. And the law of Moses, the Mosaic Covenant, served as this middle wall of partition that essentially kept Gentiles Gentiles and kept Israel Jewish. Right. Okay, I got what you're saying there. So like in the world, but not of it. Yeah, something like kind that. Kind of similar. Is that similar? Yeah. The Jewish people had to be on the same earth as everybody else, but they certainly weren't supposed to be partaking of the same things as the pagan nations. Right. And what's the sixth purpose? The sixth purpose of the law is talked about in Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, where Paul tells us that the purpose of the law was to reveal sin. And that's revealed because the standard is so high. Right. And we talked about sin a while back, right? And like how that's the will versus lust, right? And so these laws are often against the lust of the flesh, the delight of the eyes, and the pride of life. Yeah, absolutely. So that brings us to another purpose of the law, which is actually to drive someone to faith. Mm. The law is called a tutor that leads us to the Messiah. Once we come to the realization that we are not righteous in and of ourselves, then hopefully we realize that we need something outside of ourselves to help us attain the righteousness 
so that we can be present before God. And that is where the Messiah comes into play because the Messiah is so righteous. He fulfilled the law perfectly. All of those 613 commandments, Jesus fulfilled perfectly. And now the new covenant says, believe upon Jesus and we fulfill the law perfectly. Right. And so we are counted as righteous when we place our faith in Jesus. So Aaron, to summarize, the purpose of the law can be categorized into four aspects. And again, if folks want to dive down deeper into this, because we've still just scratched the surface of the Mosaic law, feel free to head to ariel.org, check out the free resources section and download the eight covenants of the Bible study. But Dr. Fruchtenbaum tells us that there are basically four aspects here of the law. First, in relation to God, it was to reveal his holiness. Second, in relation to Israel, it was to keep Israel as a distinct people. Third, in relationship to Gentiles, it served as the middle wall of partition and thus kept the Gentiles as strangers uh, to the unconditional Jewish covenants so as not to partake at that time of the Jewish spiritual blessings. And then fourth, in relation to sin, it was to reveal and show what sin is and uh, even to make one sin more and to show that we cannot attain the righteousness of the law on our own, that we need someone outside of ourselves to do it. And so if we can understand these things, so just really think and ponder about this podcast, that would be my heart's desire for you uh, as a listener, because if we could understand the strictness of this law, the strictness of the 613 uh, commandments, the purpose of the law, and go, man, I can't do that alone. And then we see in the New Testament over and over and over again, the authors say things like, thanks be to God. Thanks be to Jesus. Jesus, and they're so thankful for Jesus because he allows them and enables them to live the life they desire to live in unity with God. Because in this, under this covenant, there is no unity with God. And yet now there is under Jesus, right? Now we have access to the Father and the Holy Spirit, which they didn't have access to before. And I'm getting ahead of myself because that's the new covenant. But really excited about that. But that is what makes the new covenant so exciting. And it's actually, I think, hard to understand how great the new covenant is because we haven't experienced the hardships of the old covenant. Yeah, it really is like the operating system illustration you gave earlier, Aaron. Right. If we can imagine ourselves on a computer from 1985, right. compared to a 2019 Mac, right. that's the difference. The new covenant we're under now is a superior operating system compared to the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant. Yeah. And why we would ever want to try to take elements of the old covenant and say we need to live by those is beyond me. And I would really encourage us to focus on the new covenant and the freedom we have in the new covenant. Absolutely. And again, to summarize, this is an this is a conditional covenant. Yes. When the new covenant arrived with the Messiah, it made this old covenant inoperative. Right. It has been annulled. It has been fulfilled. And one particular verse that points that out, Paul writes this in Galatians chapter three, verse seventeen. He says, this is what I mean. The law, which is the Mosaic covenant, which came 430 years afterward. What covenant did the law come 430 years afterward? The Abrahamic covenant, which we've mentioned. 
So Paul says the law came afterward, but it does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. Here, Paul is simply making a distinction for us between the law and the Abrahamic covenant. And so we have to be really sensitive, Aaron, that when we talk about the old covenant, that does not mean all of the Old Testament. It does not mean all the covenants in the Old Testament. It means that one single covenant that God made with Israel at Sinai. I agree with that. And that's the, only, the only other thing I'd want to say before we wrap up this podcast is just because this covenant is conditional and has been um, fulfilled doesn't mean we shouldn't study it. Because it, studying this covenant and understanding the laws and the way uh, Israel was asked to live in those days helps us understand how God desires us to live today. His heart is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the judgment is different. The rules are different, right? The freedom that we have now is different. But the heart behind the discipline he desires and this distinction between the world and who we are and our devotion to our king, none of that is different, right? And so studying and understanding this old covenant can actually give us a great insight into the heart of our father for us and for how we are to live today. Next week, we're going to go further and talk more about uh, another covenant, probably the land covenant or the Palestinian covenant and uh, the Davidic covenant. So we're excited for next week's podcast. Uh, We hope you will join us then. Shalom. Shalom.